Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers, a married couple sharing our passion for the artistry of drinks. In each episode, we'll be sampling the best new products, from spirits and mixers to non-alcoholic tipples and pre-mixed drinks. Highlighting our pick of the books to add to your cocktail library, shining a light on the bars to have on your radar, and asking some of the biggest names in the drinks business for their tips on how to make quality drinks at home. This week, we ask award-winning bartender Jim Meehan for his expert tips on making the perfect punch. Get fruity, sipping orangey-based goodness in a trio of Jaffa Cake-based spirits, and experience apples in cans. Our bar review takes us over to East London, where we find a bar with shapes for a name. And from our drinks library, we shine a light on beautiful booze. Speaking of which, why don't we have a cocktail? Because after all, we are the cocktail lovers. Definitely. Okay, so today we are going to make a delicious long drink. You never need, in our opinion, an excuse, apart from perhaps hot and sunny weather, to have a mojito. But let's celebrate a couple of days early, a few days early, National Mojito Day. It really is a thing and a delightful thing, I think. It is. It's coming up on the 11th of July. There's a day for everything. Now, yes. Drinks yes. and everything else. But what? let's get celebrating National Mojito Day. I think July, there's quite a few um, rum days in July, aren't there? Isn't there something? I think there's National Daiquiri Day and National Rum Day. But we're going for the Mighty Mo. Mojito. Mojito. Right. So we've got a couple of nice, tall, slim glasses. If you want to give them a proper name, they're Collins glasses. Lovely. But but we can call them tall, thin glasses. (laughs) Right. So we're starting off by putting in about 10 mint leaves into each. Fresh fresh mint leaves. Fresh mint leaves. Fresh mint. I'm actually putting slightly more in because this mint happens to be a little bit, the leaves are a little bit on the small side. So to be on the safe slide, let's put in a few extra leaves. Actually, that's a good tip though, isn't it? To let people know that just because the recipe says six mint leaves or eight mint leaves, you should really just judge it on, on the size and the quality of the mint that you've got. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And funny enough, that I think the same applies in a way to the next ingredient, which is lime juice. And we've seen recipes occasionally where they say juice of half a lime. Yeah, and like, yeah. what is half a lime? Yeah. Is it a big lime? Also, small you lime? know what it's you like. Know. Sometimes you go to a supermarket or your market, indeed, if you're lucky enough to have somewhere that sells lots of fresh limes. But sometimes they're rock hard and you hardly get any juice well, out of exactly. them. Other times they're really lovely and pliable and you can get all the juice in the world. So, as we always say when we're making drinks... Measure. Measure, measure, measure. Measure, measure, measure. So 25 ml of freshly squeezed lime juice, which I've just squeezed, and I'm putting 25 into each glass. And it is advisable to say not to use um, a lime cordial in this, would you you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because you're going to get all your sweetness from... Well, you want that freshness, and you're going to get your sweetness from our next ingredient, which is sugar syrup. 
How do you make a sugar syrup? Well, that's the thing. It's another one of those ingredients that you can buy in some supermarkets. Mm. It goes under the name of gum. Yeah. But it is so easy to make at home. So we nearly always make our own at home. And in this instance, all we did about half an hour ago was in a bottle, nice clean bottle, we put in half and half of caster sugar and water so equal measures you can if you want a super sweet syrup you can do two parts of sugar to one part water but we like half and half yeah. so we put that in and then because it's just uh, sugar and syrup you don't even need to sugar and water sugar and water you don't even need to put this on a hob and simmer it this we literally put in the jar in a bottle gave it a shake for about a minute and it dissolves and mm. then suck it in the fridge till we're ready to use yeah, it yeah and and also you can keep it for a little while in the fridge so it's not just for this um, no, for this recipe no absolutely it keeps for a few days so we're putting 20 mil into each glass of our sugar syrup and like a lot of these sort of drinks where you're using citrus and sugar it's you know these are recipes guide recipes that we've picked up over the years but it's all about personal preference mm-hmm. so you might want it a little bit sweeter a little bit more sour try it and you might want to rebalance it and there's a reason why the mojito is one of the most popular cocktails it is really delicious it is it's also it's this magical mix of Rum, lime, mint, sugar. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's such a great combination. I've just cracked open the, oh man, the rum. So 50 mil of, of white uh, rum. White. Thank you for reminding me. White rum. So that is all of our ingredients. Now we're going to put in some crushed ice and uh, you can get fancy ice crushers. And we did have one once, but through excessive use we broke it um (laughs) (laughs) so now we use a very very good method which is we just before we started we got a whole bunch of ice wrapped it up in a nice clean tea towel Bash the hell out of it. And bash the hell out of it with a big (laughs) wooden mallet. It's a really good one. If you can't get out boxing for the day, (laughs) it's a good way to get some of your frustrations out. Yeah, so I've half filled our glasses with the um, crushed ice. And that's giving that a little stir. That's number one. Oh, smelling good. (laughs) Number two. This is so simple. So simple. And then, having given it a little stir... Just top it up each glass with more ice up to the top because you want to pack it with ice because that keeps it nice and cold and also it slows down the dilution. So, so while you're doing this, what's happening with the mint and everything else? It's blending beautifully. Nice. Yeah. So like a kind of marinade or, you know, just getting marriaging of the... the, the <laughs> ingredients together yeah well they're just blend i mean that's what i like about this drink i mean i've seen recipes as well where you can shake all of the ingredients mm. and then strain them across which is great but i just like the simplicity the fact you're making it in the glass yeah so, you know, no it's great, that is great perfect so we're finishing it off by putting a sprig of fresh mint into each glass poke that down the side oh hang on something i want to do hang on that's 
That isn't me giving myself a round of applause for a job well done, which mm. I will do shortly. That's actually me putting the sprig of mint into my hand and clapping on it. To, I've seen we picked this little tip up over the years from bartenders. She does it just releases all the oils really nicely from mm. the sprig. Put that inside of the glass. You can put a straw in if you like. I'm doing one with one with that, but we're using Paper a metal. Straws. A metal. Oh. I'm using a metal straw. Okay. Yeah, metal straw. That's even better. Yeah, no paper, no plastic straws in this household. We're really dead against that. Mm. So we've got a nice metal straw that we reuse all the time. So I'm, I'm giving Sandra her one with a straw, my one without a straw. Works both ways. Hold, I'm just passing that over. There you go. Happy, oh, that looks lovely. Thank you. Happy Mojito Day and happy, happy summer. Happy Cheers. summer. That looks so lovely. Thank you. Mm. Oh. That's great. Mm. You know, I, w- I was thinking that you were going to muddle the mint, which is sort of crushing it down. But actually, it works really well like this. Well done. Love it. So, I am so excited about this. I'm <laughs> excited about this. They're when, making me smile. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know where to start with this. Let's, <laughs> as they say in the best stories, let's start at the beginning. Indeed. Let me lay this on you. This pack is called the Jaffa Cake Trio. Yes. And I'm holding my hands up and saying, I love Jaffa Cakes. <laughs> but we're not talking biscuit Jaffa Cakes we're in not, this pack, are we? We are not. We are talking a vodka and a gin and a rum. Wow. Which are Jaffa cake based. <laughs> and let me just to put this in context, we've got a lovely little box here with three 50 CL bottles. And I'm just going to read you what's on the back yeah, of the pack because yeah. they, they're they've gonna, written it so nicely. They have, they? and they're going to say it so much better than I, I will. So it says, Greetings, Jaffa cake lover. Your prayers have been answered. <laughs> no gimmicks here, just three miniature bottles of Jaffa cake deliciousness. <laughs> Whether it's our gin, our rum, or our vodka, all three are of our Jaffa Cake creations are made with real-life Jaffa Cakes. <laughs> because like you, we just love Jaffa Cakes. We love Jaffa Cakes so much, we can't stop saying Jaffa Cakes, Jaffa Cakes. Isn't that just a great thing? So I get the feeling from that it they actually love Jaffa Cakes. Ma- and it's made with real Jaffa Cakes. I, should we just crack these open? Yeah, well, where will you start? Do you think we should start uh, on the lighter? Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to start lighters. with the vodka. Yeah. I mean, I say lighter. I guess they're all, what, 40 ABV or... Hold on, I'm just passing you that. Mm. They are all 42. 42, wow. So you're not playing around with biscuity nonsense, are you? Let's just dive in and have Mm. a little... Now, it is... You can tell it's vodka, but you can see there's a lovely tinge of orange going on, isn't there, here? Well, there is, and Mm. um, that is authentic. I love that. That is a Jaffa cake. Oh, you can taste <laughs> chocolate actually. Cho- the chocolate you? and the orange. Mm. So I'm oh I'm Yummy. already really super happy. And let me tell you, with the vodka one, they give you three mm. recipes on the back. So they give us a cosmopolitan made with Jaffa cake, vodka, triple sec, lime juice. So it's pretty much the same spec as a Cosmo, but with Jaffa cake. Vodka. I love that. But honestly, that chocolatey orangeness is so intense and really beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, and it's 
it's it's creamy. It's, it's really tasty. It mm. doesn't taste like a gimmick drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It tastes yeah. like a real nice. Yeah, Jack. They've, so, they've actually done a lot of good work to balance all of this because it's easy to make it feel like it could have been a gimmick, but actually. That's good stuff. Gary's just passed me the gin. Gin. So, as I said earlier, they're all mm. 42%. This has also got that lovely orangey glow that you referred to earlier. Again. And it's not like dark chocolate. It has got a milky chocolate with the, the, the orangey mm. goodness, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And there's a significant difference between mm. the vodka and the, the gin. Mm. It's, it tastes like a gin. It's got mm. some, you know, bot- bot- botanical stuff going on stuff <laughs> botanical I'm, stuff I'm, I'm get, I'm just, let's get technical i'm so excited about this whole thing i've all, all uh, reasonable language is going out of the window but yes it's 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 got a, mm. a gin element but again it's got it's 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 java cake mm. and again there is a recipe on the box what do they have for this they've, one they've got a negroni so you know oh, that would be good yeah again it's the standard campari and sweet vermouth but with jaffa cake gin and i love this of course you garnish your glass with a jaffa cake with a jaffa cake <laughs> i'm so gonna make that i'm so gonna make that you, you've got a lot to look forward oh, to i can't wait i can't wait <laughs> and last and definitely by no means least let me give you the jaffa cake rum I think that's going to taste great, isn't it? Let's have a see, just well, passing they over. They haven't let us down so far, mm. so I've got high hopes for this. Obviously, it's a little bit darker because it's a rum. Oh, that works well. Now, all of those, I know that they've given recipes, but you don't need, I mean, you can mm. drink those neat, can't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, orange and rum is a kind mm. of beautiful combination anyway, and I think orange, rum, chocolate, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You mm. could drink all of these. I mean, they taste great as they are. And, these and are, also, yeah. we've had these at room temperature, which yes. you wouldn't really, you don't usually appreciate spirits that well with it, but they work beautifully yeah, yeah. like this. With ice, they're going to be super fantastic. They're going to be awesome. With yeah. Ice, yeah. And, and also with those um, recipes that they've suggested, I think you can you can already taste them, those recipes. Yeah, totally. I, I think the thing about this, and let's let's be serious <laughs> for a moment you know when we saw this and even when we started talking about it say like jaffa cake gin vodka rum ha ha yeah what, what fun but these are really tasty i love them i think i mean they do do full-size bottles they do. so you can buy each of these individually but this is a really lovely little gift pack you know just for, for you to sample for yourself yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> in my case but also just to sample and see yeah. which one you want of as course, a full size of course but so, i think you should have all three to be yes. honest and that, 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 this pack as we said the three lovely little miniatures with the recipes with the crazy copy on the box and it's just fourteen ninety nine, yeah, which I think great. is pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. And is it where is it available from? It's the usual sort of master of more type things. Okay, brilliant. And we'll have details again on our website, and you can see the lovely, shiny, beautiful Jaffa cakey goodness bottles on our Instagram page. Oops, uh, it's blooper time. I think I may have said in the last segment about the fabulous Jaffa Cake selection. I may have said in the pack we had that they were 50 CL. I, of course, meant 50 ML. Apologies. (laughs) So this week, we're actually looking at a can rather than a bottle. I think that's quite a nice idea, actually. Well, it is. I think, actually, it's interesting that you've gone for a can because as a 
general observation, I think a few years ago, if you said you were going to have a cocktail from a can, most people would have gone, that doesn't sound like a great idea. Mm. But in the last year or so, we have sampled a number of cocktails in cans and they've been some really good ones yeah and particularly from bars i must say yes. because before it used to be the big guns that all made the the pre-mixed drinks and i think because bars have got on board people have taken them much more seriously and actually the quality of them has improved I, I think. absolutely the quality has been the thing for me yeah so this one is from a bar called coupette which is based in east london and it's called apples and it's their first canned cocktail that they've produced they already have some bottled drinks but this is their first can and i think it's really nice to have a can it's something that's great for this time of year when people are going on picnics or maybe you don't want a big old bottle around all the time and you just want something a simple easy serve that's already done for you yeah and we haven't tasted this yet but we're going to live (laughs) <laughs> live on air i think it's also worth saying that's uh, on the packaging it's a, a lovely illustration on the package but also and i think why not they've put on uh one two three four five of the awards that the bar has won yeah over the years and why not you know, and i think it makes you take it you take it seriously so this is actually as we said the bar is in london and the the drink has been designed in london but the the actual product has been made in france they're spending a lot of time devoted to apples in fact there are five different apple processes or five different apples, I think, that they say that are actually included in here. And they go through various stages of being pressed, filtered and carbonated. And then we've also got some Calvados. So there's a real extra boost of apple flavours yeah. in here. So You got very technical there. Apple-y, apple-y flavours. Well, you know, it's called apples <laughs> and that's what they're, they're all about. So do you want to crack it open? Yeah, we've got some... Let's get some ice into our glasses here. Hold on. Right, yeah. I'm going to crack this one open. Hold on. So it's made by a company called Maison Sassy in France. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, mm, actually. Well, smells good. A minute, a, I don't know, what, do you crack a can anyway? I yeah. open the can. And, open the can. And uh, it's smelling good. So Nice colour. It's yeah. got that lovely apple juicy, not cl- cloudy apple, just sort go. of that lovely. Thank you very mm, much. Cheers. Chin chin. Mm. We are. Oh, as far as it smells mm. really light and natural. And appley. Mm. <laughs> oh, I like that. It's really good. It's not overly carbonated. I'm glad that it hasn't got those really no. teeny bubbles. You know, those ones that really not aggravate, but they, they play around yeah, a lot. They catch the back of your throat. Yeah, sometimes. these are lovely. Really nice and crisp and clean. You can get that Calvados as well, which is really nice. It gives you a bit of a little boozy kick. It's only 8% ABV, so that's quite nice, actually. So that's less than your average wine, isn't it? Yeah, and and I I really like this. I think I I know Mm. very little about Calvados, but when I first was introduced to it a few years ago, I had a version of this drink mixed me at the bar. And I just think the, the Calvados and the apple juice or you know together it's a it's a dream sort of simple combination and you said you've had it at the bar so how i mean i know that was a long time ago but how do you think that it compares with the canned version 
Well, I, I think it stands up really, really mm. well, actually, because I suppose there's not too many sort of variables. So, yeah, I, if if I didn't know this had come out of a can and it was served to me, I, I would think it had just been mixed I think fresh for me. Yeah. It's really delicious. It's clean, as we said, really crisp, nice and light, bit of a hit of a booze coming through, but not too much. It's a really nice summer drink. And I would say to have a few of these in your fridge. Definitely. It's five pounds a can. So people may think that's a little bit pricey, but I think for the quality of the drink, and also if you go into the bar, it's probably about, what, 12 pounds or something. Yeah. So so this is a good one to have. We've got pictures of this on our Instagram page. So have a look. And also we'll have details of where to buy it as well. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. Hi guys, my name's JJ Goodman, coming from the London Cocktail Club, and my hack is, I'm a big fan of Forsec, Quantro, Grand Marnier-based cocktails, and when I go to house parties, I can never, ever, ever find it in the cupboard. My hack would be to take a little bit of orange peel, mix it with a little bit of a sugar syrup uh, and a splash of vodka, and you are up up, up and away with a gorgeous triple set cocktail hat. Enjoy. For more from the Cocktail Lovers, see our digital and print magazine and make sure that you subscribe. You can find out all about it on our website, thecocktaillovers.com. And also you'll find out where to subscribe for our magazine, which is available four times a year in digital and print. So this week we headed over to Dalston 2 and get this, this is the name, a bar with shapes for a name. Yes, that really is the name. It's all about the Bauhaus movement, which we'll get on to a bit later. But this is a bar from three great names in the drinks industry. One is Remy Savage, who's partnered up with Paul Lugrin and Maria Contaravadis. Oh. And this is their first bar. And it's a great, exciting space, all inspired by art. Uh, and, and specifically, I by Bauhaus art. By Bauhaus art, which is pretty much about the Bauhaus movement of scarcity. So mm. it's about pairing things back which is everything from the furnishings to the drinks, which we'll get to later. It's about minimalism, functionalism and design. And they've done this really, really well. So like we always say, yes, you can know all of the gubbins behind it. But the real thing is, do you feel comfortable when you walk in? Yeah, and I think that, and the answer is yes. Mm. Uh, we went early evening, so it was nice and sunny and bright. The front was flung open, so you could just literally step from the street in, which was nice. It felt very welcoming. It's a long, thin bar. Uh, as you said, it's kind of very understated, very, very minimalist, but... A lot of thought has gone into the mm. detail. There's a lot of nice natural wood. There's uh, it's uh, it's a bit like a gallery feel, slightly like the walls are all white, very They're white, very white gallery feel in the sense. But there's no art on the walls, no. so that's great. Yeah, the color, such as it is, it, it comes from little touches like cushions, and also the fabulous sort of boiler suits, uh, the arty boiler suits that the team 
wear yeah and also the lighting is there's some really good cool lighting which they can adjust throughout the day and also the furniture is quite modular so depending on the vibe and the crowd that's in they can extend tables they can fold them up open them out so that's a nice touch as well yeah and going back to that Bauhaus feel of scarcity they only have 20 lines of drinks and speaking of the drinks there's no discernible back bar which you don't notice at first but then you look over in the bar area which is very much like a kitchen it's very clean very yeah. calm and you just see maria mixing the drinks and it's it's like she's serving them up in your kitchen isn't yeah. it and it's quite interesting because it takes a while for the penny to drop mm. and after you sat there for a little while you suddenly think there's something specifically different about this yeah. and that's when you realize there's no back bar there's no labels on no show for any brand no exactly so they've chosen 20 lines of drinks which feature throughout the menu and all of the drinks that they do use have been chosen by blind tasting so rest assured that you're getting super quality drinks in every single cocktail that's there so moving on to Onto the, the cocktails. cocktails yeah and in the same sense that everything as we said is kind of minimal in the, the ingredients minimal the menu itself is quite minimal it's literally two mm. sections house drinks and classic drinks house are the absolute creations mm. for the new bar and classics are their variations on well-known classic drinks we decided to try from both sections yeah, of the menus yeah. which i think was a great idea of so, course i say that yeah so, <laughs> so starting off, what did you have from the house well i had the nouveau vague which was their version of a new old-fashioned say so yeah. it was with green spot irish whiskey some bergamot and aloe vera and it was a really lovely light old-fashioned it wasn't something an old-fashioned i never usually have at 6.30. But as I spoke to them about the drink, what they said it was, was something like they wanted to have an old fashioned that had the finish of a dry martini. So that really intrigued me. I wouldn't necessarily say it, it had the finish of a dry martini or you wouldn't taste it as such but it did have a lovely light dryness that that came through so it wasn't that you know that richness that you usually get with an old-fashioned it's really light beautifully balanced and a really lovely drink served in a simple tumbler with a lovely block of ice and all of the ice actually have little shapes in them yeah so colored shapes so that also echoes the the Bauhaus theme what about what did you have Well, the interesting thing about this menu particularly was quite often when I look at a drink on a menu, you look at certain ingredients and you think in your head, you almost get an idea of how it might work and you get excited about that. With this, there's so many ingredients on here that I didn't know Mm. or I'd heard of, but didn't know what they tasted like. So I thought, well, I've really got to take a a leap of faith on how this is going to work. And I thought, well, why not take this to the next level? And I noticed (laughs) a drink that had licorice in it. And I absolutely hate licorice. I've always, since from a child to an adult, without interruption, I've always hated licorice. Mm. So I thought, what the hell? I'm going to order the drink with licorice in just to see what happens. And also to see what they do with it. Yeah. Um, So this one is called the Odessa and it is Remy Martin 1738, pineapple, licorice and Ribeiro coffee. 
And in terms of presentation, it was a joy to behold. It was lovely, kind of coloured glass, a sort of... Murano glass, isn't it? Is that it? what yeah, it is? Yeah. Thank you. I no, I there. think so. Yeah, no, it you're probably like right. It was me. beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And then piled high with crushed ice that made it very sculptural, uh, in the centre of which was a straw, I think it was bamboo or paper mm. or something like that. It's sustainable for sure. And yeah, it's the way, the best way I can describe it. First of all, yes, it was very tasty and you got a hit of the, the pineapple and the, the, the Remy Martin up front. But the licorice, to mm. my surprise, holds everything yeah, together. Yeah, it really does. It wasn't front and center. It was just kind of like on the journey, yeah. if you like, with us. But what I liked about the drink, it, the more I sipped it, the more it sort of uh, revealed itself. So there were lots and lots of layers of flavour, mm. and I really loved it. And the, particularly that bit from the licorice to the coffee, it just sort of went through so beautifully, yes. didn't it? It was yeah. a, a really pleasant surprise and a fantastic, really creative drink. And then we went for um, something from the classic drink section yeah. because we wanted to see what they do with the classics. So they are very classic, but they've mixed them up in their own special way. So because I'd gone for the new old-fashioned from their menu, I decided to go for an old-fashioned from the classics menu. Again, this one features green spot Irish whiskey. There's some Knob Creek bourbon, some quince eau de vie and bitters. And yeah, it's it really tastes like what you expect from an old fashioned, beautifully done, very heady, I would say, yes. um, but nicely so. I actually, to be honest, preferred the first one. I preferred their version of a of an old fashioned, a nice, lighter, fresher fruitier almost mm. but i i really liked it but if you're a traditionalist and don't want to go for something that you think might be messing around with the classics then definitely go for this one like all of the drinks on the menu all of them are priced at 950 which is fantastic yeah and lastly the drink that i had from the uh the classic menu is adonis and their version includes sake amontillado sherry and veritas rum and served in a very classic way sort of tall thin stemmed glass and very powerful very tasty and i think like sandra i actually preferred their, their version mm. but having said that i think if i'd ordered this and nothing else i'd have been very very happy mm. with it but it was just i think i missed the playfulness yeah of their drinks yeah exactly we have to mention another drink that we we did try just because we'd seen yeah. somebody else have it and this was again from the the house section and it's called the casimar and i think this is a stunner of a drink actually it is haku vodka peach yogurt and absinthe now it might sound like, what the hell is going on there? <laughs> but the, the, the yogurt is all clarified, so you get a clear drink. It's really beautiful. But what it does add is this wonderful peaches and cream texture and aroma and taste. It, it really was fantastic. Yeah. And, and talk about the it, look I mean, of it. Well, I think it is the ultimate in paired back minimalism it's a sort of rock glass sort of rocks glass very thin the drink within it is clear and there's a clear block of ice but they've done something i can't quite work out how it's done but it's almost uh, there's something within this large block of ice and 
I remember from school something called prism and something called refracted light. <laughs> That's all I remember because I was so rubbish at all science subjects. So this might have been physics, it might have been chemistry, I don't know. But the effect it actually has in this ice cube, in this clear drink, is wherever you move it, the white light shines through it and you get lots of different colours. Yeah, Not in a gimmicky way, you just get a little hint of a blue or a yellow or a purple. Mm. And it's quite magical. Yeah, and so that takes you back to the art theme. You know, yeah. like, yeah. as we said, you, you don't necessarily have to know it's all about Bauhaus you, at all. No. But every so often there's little hints of things like this wonderful... Um, refracted light in the, the yeah, in this nothing drink. else it's it's playful yeah. yeah and then also some of the shapes of the ice cubes in some of the longer drinks so you'll get round ice cubes you get oblong ice cubes so these all hint at the the Bauhaus movement so it's a wonderful space to try out great great drinks as we said everything is priced at £9.50 so you don't have to worry about um, you know is that one more expensive blah 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 they're all exactly the same and we highly recommend it we do indeed So today's book is called Beautiful Booze, Stylish Cocktails to Make at Home. What do you think of that, Gary? I've got mixed feelings about that. I don't like the word booze. Mm. And that's that's generally, I don't like the word booze. I always think it just demeans the world of really good classic premium cocktails and premium drinking. Actually, I'm with you there. But stylish cocktails? I love that. Good, marvellous. It's by a lady called Natalie Migliarini. She is a self-taught cocktail lover. Okay. And she's teamed up with a bartender called James Stevenson, who also consults on the recipes, but takes the pictures. Ah. And his pictures are really great. So at first, I must say, when I went through it, it seemed like just your average cocktail recipe book. But once you sort of get into it a little bit deeper, you'll see that the chapters are divided up into really considered chapters. But what's the kind of idea of the book? Well, it's just stylish cocktails to make at home but she's split it up into several different chapters ranging from classic to modern so here what she's done is taken three classic cocktails like a daiquiri french 75 and negroni and then made them into modern variations of that drink so for example with the daiquiri there's one with rosé sparkling wine or there's a limoncello daiquiri or a banana daiquiri so nice little twist and same like that with the Negronis and French 75. So does it have the kind of classic Yes, there is a classic. Works with that. Yeah, and so you can either go for the classic or you can build on that or you can just look at these modern variations and think, actually... I prefer that. So give it a whirl. So that's really good. There's things on day drinking from low ABV to alcohol-free drinks. I like, there's one called setting up a soiree, which is really nice. So that's a whole chapter on different party ideas. That's a really good idea. Mm. I think a lot of people will like that. Yeah. And there's um, really simple things like a tower of bubbles. So you've always seen those 
pyramids of um, uh, champagne saucers. Well, it shows you how to do that. Yes, wow. it does. And it's just a nice thing. So <laughs> Are we going to try that? I think we should. But uh, we should do a bit of... Stand <laughs> back, everybody. <laughs> I think we should do a bit of practising first. Yes. But it's one of those, if you've got some guests coming over, it's not about preparing a cocktail. It's about setting the thing up and actually giving a bit of a show. And, you know, what's not yeah. to like about right. the Right, OK, I'm putting that in the bubbles. diary. Next time we have people over, we're going to build a tower of bubbles Indeed. and put it on Instagram. <laughs> Watch this space. There's also punches, obviously, the ultimate share in drink. There's things on setting up a mimosa bar so you can have a really lovely mimosa party or a Bloody Mary bar cart. And even another thing that's quite intriguing, a whiskey and cheese pairing. Oh, yeah. So she gives ideas on the cheeses to have and the whiskeys and ni- bourbons. That's a nice to- idea. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, things like that. It just gives you some ideas that whether you take those or whether you extend them to, to suit your own mood, it's just a nice... But I like the, the ethos of it because it sounds like the sort of thing that, you can try literally as a couple at yeah. home, we would try and it's nice when you've got a few just a few friends over and you want to play around and do some things like the, the whiskey and cheese idea yeah that's it's really for nice a great evening. absolutely yeah. there's tropical drinks and nightcap cocktails so yeah. you know just, that's just the the hint of the things that are in it I would say one of the drawbacks for me and the biggest drawbacks for me is that it, all of the measurements are in ounces, not in mils, and right. there's no conversion. So you will have to do that yourself. But, you know, what I would do is if you like the recipes, then do some conversions. I, I just think it would have been easier yeah, if there yeah. was something in there. But it's great book. As I say, lovely, lovely photography, really broken down nicely into categories. And there's lots of helpful little tips in there. It's published by the Countryman Press and available from all good book retailers. How much is it? Doesn't say, but I would say it's about 20 20 to 25 pounds or something. It looks like that. It's a hardback cover and yeah, nicely done. So one to add to your drinks library. Today, we are so thrilled to welcome Mr. Jim Meehan to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Jim is an internationally renowned, multi-award-winning bartender and author. He's worked at some of New York's most important and significant restaurants and bars, including Gramercy Tavern and Pagoo Club, before going on to open the world's most famous and most copied speakeasy-style bar, PDT, in 2007. And we can still remember the thrill of going through a phone booth in a hot dog restaurant to gain access to that amazing hidden bar. These days, Jim runs the consultancy firm Mixography Inc., where his expertise is sought out for everything from talking at the world's most respected industry trade shows to creating programs for bars. Most recently, the Japanese-inspired restaurant Takibi. He's also the author of the award-winning The PDT Cocktail Book, and Miam's Bartender's Manual, as well as Punch, A Voyage of Discovery, which he wrote together with drinks writer and historian David Wondrich. It's a gem of a book featuring a brief history of the drink, its revival and fabulous punch recipes from some of the best bartenders in the world, all using Banks Rum, the product he co-created in 2010. We couldn't think of a better 
or nicer person to speak to on the subject of punch. Jim, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Thanks, Gary. It's an honor to be here. (laughs) Good. We're so happy to speak to you, Jim. Let's start with the obvious. What is punch? Well, um, punch is is the sort of predecessor to cocktails and it depends on really who you ask that question to. Mm, but what we're asking you. Yeah, a lot of people, if you're asking me, it is a mixture of, of strong, sweet, sour, spice, and then a, a lengthener. It's a, a drink that has a powerful name that sounds like it's a cocktail that will knock you out, but it's actually a relative of the sour that, that has more dilution that was created to mimic the body and, and strength of a glass of beer or, or, or a glass of wine. So it's a, a mellow, sessionable, sipping drink that's perfect for entertaining. Well, when you put it like that, it just makes me want to have one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell us, has it always been a passion of yours or did it kind of start with the, your creation of Banks Rum or does it go back further than that even? I think that the David Wondrich's book, Imbibe, which was the the story of Jerry Thomas that that sort of talked about the history of all the of his book and his career, was really a sort of a game changer for a lot of us uh, in you know in the bar industry. And what was interesting when you actually look at the the 1862 book of Jerry Thomas is most of the recipes in it are punches, not cocktails. There are very few cocktail recipes. And what Dave said is he had more, he had so much material that didn't go into that book that he worked on a second book, which is called Punch, The Delight and Dangers of the Flowing Bowl. And so that book, which came out in 2010, I got my hands on in 2009. And so I think Punch for me, as any sort of drinks historian or writer or bar operator, you know, I I probably got into it right around the time that a lot of my colleagues did. And it was a a mixture of what what Dave had written about in Punch and Imbibe, but also what was going on in the sort of modern bar industry. I had always kept my eyes on what was going on in London when I was in New York. And Nick Strangeway had started launching these sort of counter-revolutionary lists at the Lunsdale and the Hawksmoor. And then with Mark Hicks at Hicks, that included Punch. So I was paying attention to that. And then I was doing my, I was dutifully reading my homework uh, written by David Wondrich. That's fantastic. And so when did you start delving into creating recipes with Punch? To be honest, uh, you know, I was, I wasn't a Punch guy. I remember when Death, Death and Company is the bar that is located about a long soccer kick or football throw away from PDT on 6th Street in the East Village. And Death and Company launched an early a punch right around the time they opened. And my initial thoughts are, this is very silly. They have this very, you know, high-end cocktail bar, and the, the seats are only, you know, six feet away from the bar, and they're serving people punch. Like, this is a bar that was created to, for everyone to get a different drink, and they're serving people punch. So I have to admit that my early sort of feelings about cocktail bars serving punch were this is silly. But part of that was because cocktail bars in 2007 weren't that busy because people weren't that into them yet. They weren't very popular. And then when the actual the big transformation, like many of the transformations in my life happened when there was a need for it, when Bacardi bought banks I remember sitting down with Jacob Breyers of, you know, who's been running advocacy for, for Bacardi for a very long time. 
Our chief competitor for banks was, well, everyone's chief competitor in the rum category is Bacardi. So when Bacardi bought us, I had to change. I had been going around the world telling people to try a Banks daiquiri instead of a Bacardi daiquiri. And you can't do that when you are, are when a Cuban rum company <laughs> buys you because they are the authentic <laughs> Cuban rum. And then now they own you. So Jacob and I sat down. And I was like, well, obviously, we're not going to keep talking about this Banks daiquiri. And, and then we started thinking and I was like, you know. Banks is the first rum that mixed the you know the Caribbean and West Indian rums with Javanese Batavia Rack, which is the signature ingredient and historic punch. And I'd always served punch at parties for Banks because I didn't want the bartenders to get overwhelmed. But I was like, why don't we focus on this? And so for the last seven years, I've really sort of you know, flipped my script with banks and and really tried to do my best to get people to start thinking about drinking punch. Because it, it punch has been in and out of fashion, and and particularly, I'm I, I guess a lot of people think of it as one of those student drinks where you just pour lots of things together. Yeah, we've all what done do it. You, yeah. yeah, what do you? What would you say about that? Is that why you think that punch has had a bad bad rep? Well, I, I would definitely say that. I mean, I remember when I first started getting, you know, trying to get people, encouraging people to make the daiquiri for banks, the first thing they'd say to me is, well, we don't, I'm so sorry we don't have a blender, or I'm so sorry we don't have any strawberries. So the default understanding of daiquiri was strawberry daiquiri back, you know, 10 years ago. And now it's sort of understood as a handshake and drink with lime and sugar. And I think punch is the same. People's initial instinct is, oh, I had a bad experience with punch in college. Or, or in, to this day, when you, see, when you look at entertaining magazines, entertaining magazines always have like a salad bowl with a, like a colorful liquid, and then they just cover it with like berries and fruit. And it, it just looks like a fruit salad swim, you know, <laughs> in a pond of, you know, tropical liquid. And I just think that the audience that I'm trying to sell punch to, you know, in the same way they don't like an old fashioned with muddled cherries and oranges, they don't want a fruit salad with a, a daiquiri underneath it. They want, you know, so it's been a, that has been a big challenge. And so, yeah, the, the, the challenge persists. So we've, we've jumped ahead a little bit. Is there a little brief history of punch that you can give us just to put it into context as to why it's important? I know that you said it was kind of a precursor to cocktails, but can you put it into context for our listener who may want to know a little bit more? Yeah, I think the historic context of it, you know, I asked David Wondrich, you made this like a, a platform for the brand if you'd be willing to, to to sort of write a short history of punch. And, and he dug back to, there was a British uh, sea captain named Larkin who ended up mixing citrus and water and spirit and, and creating this drink called Larkin, which became popular with the East India Company. And then he, I think Dave found the first mention of punch in 1632. So we know going back centuries, this has been a something that would would have been on ships the citrus would have been there for scurvy the spirits would have been there initially for medicinal purposes later for recreational purposes the sugar and spice would have been there because that's what a lot of these ships were transporting and th- these were this was a mixture that was created when the wine and beer the you know the sailors drink beer the officers drink wine eventually on a hot sea voyage these are not going to be around so they 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 started drinking punch 
so I think it's, you know, historically then it went from the being a sailor's drink to there being punch houses in all over Europe where these were the like sort of early taverns where people gathered to talk about philosophy and economics and, and political issues. So these were, were places where, where people gathered. Punch was a sort of entertainment source before television. Wealthy men would gather and, and, and speak, you know, in, about matters over a bowl of punch. Coffee houses served the same purpose as well. So that was the history of this sort of drink. And then what I alluded to earlier, which I think is important, is that, you know, going back, say, 15 years, Dale DeGroff and David Wondrich and, and a lot of these American cocktail scholars were making a lot of noise during the sort of beginning of the cocktail renaissance. And Nick Strangeway, who was a protege of Dick Bradsell, um, and a really smart and innovative person in his own right. I think he was, you know, reading and listening to all this and, and really not appreciating how the American sort of journalists were, were basically claiming the cocktail is completely their own. And he started, I think it was first at the Lunsdale, creating a list of all English drinks that, you know, it had a Collins and it had a punch, it had cobblers and cups and, he was using recipes from English and London cocktail books. And, and I think Nick has always really sort of not liked the way the Americans made narcissistically made cocktails all about them. And so I think for Nick in particular, punch was something that he always wanted to position as like, well, yeah, you might have, you know, the cocktail may have become famous in America, but but it, punch is a truly British, you know, invention and and, and that we mastered and he served it at all of his bars. So I think that as, you know, especially considering where you are and where many of your listeners are, I think punch is a is a righteously British invention that was, you know, created by industrious people who wanted to have a drink and ran out of wine and beer. And I think it remains, you know, proudly British, uh, you know, and proudly continental. And 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 I think that it is... Going back to this idea of like what sort of changed in me, what changed in me was really there became a need for it. Cocktail bars have become really overrun with people. They're not quiet places to gather like these old early punch houses. And we need solutions. And what I've seen over here is, you know, bottled cocktails, cocktails on tap, cocktails out of soda guns. You know, we've industrialized cocktail mixing. And to me, the industrialization of cocktails is totally antithetical to why these places were cool and interesting and in some ways provocative when I started doing this. And so I, I, I guess my, what I've been saying to these sort of later generation mixologists who are struggling to keep up with the volumes in their cocktail bars is, hey, instead of using an industrial solution for your volume, why not use a craft solution for your volume and, and mix up a bowl of punch? This Absolutely. Is That's a fantastic idea. And it's such a brilliant, brilliant drink. We've had some great punches at the punch room at the edition. Um, and also at Dead Rabbit, when, when that was first opened, they had some beautiful punches. And it encouraged us to make some as well. Now, what sort of tips would you give people for making punch at home? 
There's two things. One, I would say that when we're jiggering a sour or a cocktail, we're oftentimes looking at the balance between strong, sweet, and sour. And then we're adding, you know, more of one of those three pillars. The interesting thing I would say with punch is the answer isn't usually to make it stronger, sweeter, or more sour. The interesting thing is usually the thing that fixes it is adding more dilution. And I find that dilution, there's way more water by virtue of tea or or non-alcoholic mixture in punch than there is a cocktail. So when you're trying to figure out why your punch doesn't taste right, add water before you add a strong ingredient, a sweet ingredient, or a sour ingredient. Wow, that's a very helpful tip. I don't think I've ever used that one. (laughs) (laughs) With that in mind, there's something you touched on there that always frightens me about trying to make punch, and that is using tea. Yeah, because it is such a key ingredient. But I always kind of feel like with a lot of the ingredients, you know, it's uh, coming out of a bottle, so it's fine. But first of all, I've got to make the tea. And that's what scares me. So have you got any sort of pointers for people at home about what sort of tea to use and how to prepare it in the best way to use in punch? David Wondrich, this isn't public knowledge. He doesn't drink he usually doesn't really drink almost any caffeine and and he drinks very little caffeine certainly in the evening so i would say that it's interesting that the most influential other than nick strangeway punch maker in the world doesn't drink caffeine so you won't see tea in almost any of his recipes i love tea and so you'll see tea in a lot of my recipes and i drink a lot of caffeine so i would say that the first question is i would ask your guests or your think about your audience does your audience want to drink tea at night? You know, and if they do, what, what, what effect could that have on them? If the answer is no, then there are a number of infusions that you can use in place of it. I would say that the, the infusion that makes most sense is rooibos in place of black tea. South African rooibos is not caffeinated, but it has a lot of tea-like qualities. And then for green teas, I, I think that Certainly, you can find a nice Moroccan mint infusion, or you could find uh, lemongrass makes a nice infusion, and then there are other mixtures. So I would say that first, the first question is the big one is caffeine. The second one, which working with Henrietta Lovell of Rare Tea in London, she's really sort of helped me with my tea game and my punch tea game. She's, in, she's suggested using cold infusions instead of hot infusions for... Yeah. And that allows the tea to be more stable. So I would say that if I were going to mix a batch of punch, especially if I have time, either look to do a cold infusion, which is basically combining the tea and the water and letting it sit for six or eight hours, which makes it more stable, or doing what's called a flash brew, where you make the tea hot, but then add, you make a very concentrated tea hot. And then you add a bunch of ice to to rapidly chill it to prevent oxidation. Do you have some key stages in the preparation of punch? When people are thinking about making it at home, how do they start? Do they get a bowl? Do they, you know, what would you say? Especially so it doesn't look like that fruit salad that you mentioned (laughs) earlier, because that's really not what we want. We want to look elegant. I would say that the, in the same way that the old fashioned cocktail I mentioned was previously a muddled orange and cherries cobbler and then it turned into the drink we have today which is just bitters and sugar and a twist usually over a big cube that would be the the sort of transition that i would like to prescribe or recommend for punch from that fruit salad to what we think of as elemental punch so 
Elemental punch can be as simple and is truly delicious as water, citrus, sugar, spirit, and spice. And that spice is usually nutmeg. The recipe that, that Dave recommended in his book, which I love, uses what's, this is a fancy term, but, it, but it's, it's not complicated. It's called either a shrub or a sherbet, as it would be called over there. And that is a mixture of the, you basically peel four to six lemons, put them into a jar, add sugar on top of them and let it sit overnight. And the sugar extracts all the oil out of the of the peels and creates this oleosaccharum, it's called. And so that's like the lemon oil. And then you that next day, you save the lemons that you peeled, you juice them into that mixture and you shake it up. And that's what you get is the sherbet. And, and the sherbet is basically lemonade that is aromatized with the oils from the peel. And that is basically mix that with a with a pot stilled spirit. Obviously, I like banks, but you could use uh, an Irish, you know, a pure pot stilled Irish whiskey or a cognac or a Geneva or anything that has aromatic pot still components. And then water, or you could add tea, or you could play with the amount of spirit you used and add wine. And then you garnish it with spice, and that spice would typically be grated nutmeg. The the thing I would say for appearances is like in the same way that our cocktail glassware allows us to show off our style, our punchware is the same thing. And I don't think you have to be, you know, if you're a fancy historic person, maybe you find you know, a secondhand pewter bowl. If you're a modernist, maybe you find a cool ceramic bowl. I also think that if you're if you're the sort of person where all of your everything matches, then maybe you have matching cups for your matching bowl. But there's something to be said for having a, a, a mishmash of different cups. I think teacups and coffee cups can easily be repurposed for punch cups. And then I think the ice is another big consideration. I think when you when you pull the fruit salad out and you just have a bowl with ice, having a nice big cube, I think, is a is a big presentation piece. So I would say you in a city like London or, or even Portland, you can get clear ice cubes. But in, if you aren't in a place where you can buy a clear ice cube, Camper English at Alcademics has written volumes on how to make clear ice. And I'd recommend you go uh, visit his work and, and, and make a clear ice cube because I think it makes a really cool presentation. Marvellous. So we can all go and start practicing our punch recipes. And also, where can people find you? Can, are you making punches in your, in your new space where you're working? Yeah, it's funny. I, for years, you know, as I've been advocating for punch over the last seven years or eight years, I've sort of... I've always wanted it to be from a bowl. So I wanted either to have punch bowl service or to have a big bowl on the bar and ladle it into cups. And I finally relented and put one of my favorite drinks, my favorite punch recipes on the cocktail menu. Yay! And um, I'm happy to report that it is one of our best-selling drinks. So, so that's exciting. But I am sad to report that I am not serving it from a bowl. We are mixing it a la minute. So I'm mixing it like a cocktail, but it is a punch. So I haven't quite figured out that magic, how I get people to drink out of bowls again uh, part of this equation. But I am happy to report that my green tea punch is on the menu at Takibi. I have made it appropriate for Takibi by infusing banks with nori. Oh, lovely. 
So it gives it this kind of like salinity and grassiness that plays well with the sencha tea in it. Marvelous. Wow. And for any more details, where can people find you? They can find me at Takibi now. I'm I'm there bussing tables and telling dad jokes most <laughs> nights. Um, I'm there a lot right now. But when I'm not there, I'm available on the internet, the handle Mixography, both on Twitter and for my for my politics and on Instagram for everything else. Hopefully, eventually, I'll be back in the world sitting at everyone else's bar. Marvelous. Okay. Well, we'll include all of your details in our show notes. And once again, Jim, it's an absolute pleasure speaking to you from sunny Portland. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss another episode by simply subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com. 